This episode of the Elevate Your Leadership podcast is brought to you in part by iFly Virginia Beach Indoor Skydiving. At iFly Virginia Beach, we bring people together through the dream of flight. Visit our website at iFlyVABeach.com to learn more about our group events to include leadership development, team building, and family fun. Welcome to the Elevate Your Leadership podcast series with U.S. Navy Special Operations veteran, CEO, and hockey fanatic, Bob Pizzini. Bob discusses leadership, success, failure, defining moments, and hard lessons learned with guests who are intentional in their approach to leadership. Leadership is a perishable skill. Use it or lose it. In this series, entrepreneurs, industry executives, academics, public figures, and other highly effective professionals share their formulas for success with you. Welcome, everybody, to this episode of the Elevate Your Leadership podcast with me, your host, Bob Pizzini. If you've listened to previous episodes of my podcast, you know that I love to have discussions with guests who bring great value to me and my organization. And because of that, I know they're going to bring great value to you and your organization. Today's guest, Michelle Ellis Young. Michelle, a proud native of New Orleans, Louisiana and graduate of Seton Academy High School, Michelle Ellis Young is a trained communicator who earned a bachelor's degree at the University of Houston in Houston, Texas in radio television. Wow, I hope you think uh, my studio setup is okay. In fall of 1989, Michelle joined Zeta Phi Beta Sorority, Inc., Phi Epsilon Chapter. Then she moved to Hampton Roads to continue her studies at Hampton University, where she earned a master's degree in counseling with a focus on college student development. She has also furthered her educational endeavors as a doctoral student at West Virginia University. Michelle brings a unique and well-balanced perspective to her career and community endeavors. She is equipped with more than 30 years of experience advancing the mission of higher education institutions, nonprofits, and corporations in human resources, strengthening the stakeholder experience, and conceptualizing innovative programs in community-centered organizations. Described as a connector of people and resources, Michelle is passionate about her service and the development of people, especially women and young girls, and helping them actualize their passion and purpose. She simply encourages people to walk in excellence, I love that, and remind them to continue to move, M-O-V-E, motivate on victory every day, love that too. Currently, Michelle serves as, as the Chief Executive Officer of the Young Women's Christian Academy, Young Women's Christian Association, Young Women's Christian Association the YWCA of Southampton Roads, where she stewards the organization's mission of eliminating racism, empowering women, promoting peace, justice, freedom, and dignity for all. She is actively involved in a host of community and civic organizations, serving on several boards, is an ordained minister, and a diehard Houdat New Orleans Saints fan. Michelle Ellis Young, welcome to the Elevate Your Leadership podcast. Thanks, Bob, for having me. I'm honored to be here with you. So there's so much to talk about. Uh, you've done so much in a short while. Before we started recording, we were talking about our affiliation with Troy University. Mm -hmm. So Troy State back then right. is where I earned my graduate degree in 2003. But what was your role or your affiliation with Troy? 
So I uh, oversaw the area here in Hampton Roads. At that time, Troy State University uh, was lo located on North Naval Station Norfolk and as well as the surrounding military installations. And so my role when I started with Troy was to oversee student services as the Associate Regional Director for Student Services. And then we started this expansion effort across the country, which really centralized our services online. At that time, it was distance education, became really uh, hot, if you will, in the way of education. And so I um, spent, uh, morphed into many other roles with Troy, uh, having spent about 11 and a half years with the university. That is so awesome. You know, that was such a wonderful experience for me and a wonderful time in my life to be able to have that graduate experience while I was stationed in Guam. I earned my entire graduate degree at 30,000 feet uh, when I was overseas doing all kinds of really cool special operations stuff. You grew up in New Orleans. You're a proud native of New Orleans. Can you tell us a little bit about your upbringing, high school? Sure. So today is National Only Child Day, and I am an only child. So I am uh, uh, the only child of Loretta and Jesse James Ellis. My father is deceased. Uh, I grew up in a, a family uh, centered around lots of women. So it's no coincidence of where my career has taken me. Uh, and uh, really, uh, parents that I say did their level best to ensure that I had my basic needs met and my resources, uh, because my mother was a cook and my father was a laborer, which meant he worked when there was work and when there was no work, he didn't, you know, and so, but I learned so many skills, you know, I'll tell anyone that my mother is probably the best accountant with a high school degree that I know she can manage money. I wish I had learned that earlier in my professional <laughs> career. And so uh, they invested in my education as a way for me to actualize success and uh, another level of, of wealth, if you will, uh, by uh, taking me out of public school systems and putting me into Christian education. Uh, I was educated Catholic uh, and went to Seton Academy for girls. So again, an all girls school that really was the foundation for really who I am as a woman today and how I navigate in the spaces that I do. And then went off to college, like uh, not most, but a lot of my friends did. You know, we knew that there was something more in the world beyond New Orleans, didn't realize the richness of where we came from until we were older, you're young and dumb and you want to just get out. So I went to Houston uh, and finished a degree there. And then uh, people asked me, well, how'd you end up here in Hampton Roads? My story is it was uh, grad school, but there was a man, a military man. <laughs> my husband was stationed here. So I relocated here and got my degree at Hampton University. And then we started a family and work life and those types of things. And then later on, went to West Virginia University uh, to uh, start a doctorate program. I completed my EDS. And some days I think about going days and there are other days I just think about going home. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I get that totally. I uh I looked at a at a doctorate program a number of years ago and I was like no way. <laughs> no <laughs> way. Not going to happen. Did you have jobs in high school? I did. 
So it was interesting. Uh, I, I, I like to tell people we were poor without the OR. So we weren't poor. That means you had money. We poor without the OR. And But my mother did not want me to work, you know. And so I begged her to let me work. And then about a, the 11th grade, uh, Wendy's came to my high school, which was rare because our high school didn't let people come in. But they let Wendy's come in. And I got hired and I remember going home and telling my mom, I got a job. And she's like, what you do that for? <laughs> and so uh, we talked about it and she let me start. Wendy's is probably one of those jobs that was fundamental to my work ethic. And I tell people, I knew when I went there, I went there and I my first night of training, I remember his name was Mike, my manager. His name was Mike, I'll never forget him. And Mike took me to the dining room floor and had me wiping tables down. I said, this ain't going to last long because I'm built for more than this. Oh. And I saw the drive through over in the corner of my eye. I'm like, I'm going to work that job over there. And within two days, that's where I was. And so what Wendy's taught me is, is to always look for the opportunity and seize the moment when it happens. And so I learned a lot about teamwork. I learned a lot about trust. I learned a lot about uh, people management because he poured a lot into, we're young, most of us high school and college kids, you know, uh, the oceanfront was right at the, the lakefront is what we called it was right near our store, but he invested in young people and gave us opportunities and chances. So Wendy's is a place that I'm always find, uh, fond of when I think about my uh, career journey. You know, that's incredible to hear. Uh, I love asking my guests about their first jobs in high school because most of them say what you just said. Mm -hmm. I will never forget mm -hmm. my manager. I will never forget this. Now, it's not always positive. Right. Sometimes <laughs> I will never forget that person that I worked for. And I swore I would never work for somebody like that again. Mm -hmm. uh, but usually it's what you said. I will never forget the help that this person gave me. You know, my first job, I didn't know anything about being employed. And uh, so those are wonderful wonderful uh, experiences that help shape us mm -hmm. um, and help uh, Michelle become who she is today. Let's transition into your current role at the YWCA. Can you just tell us what the YWCA is, what their mission is, and what your role is? Okay. So the YWCA as an international organization is the oldest and largest women's humanitarian organization in the world. Uh, we got our start uh, in internationally about 1863, and then here in the States about 1860, I'm sorry, 1860. Sick. That's right. And and so we have been on the forefront of what our mission stands for, which is eliminating racism, empowering women, promoting peace, justice, freedom and dignity for all. And we do that work through an intersectional approach that allows women and girls and families really to be elevated beyond the places that they are. Our work here locally, we've been in this community for 114 years, centers primarily on uh, domestic and interpersonal uh, violence and, and working with primarily women. We do service men uh, who have experienced uh, traumatic uh, situations in their uh, lives as a result of violence. And so how do we bridge the gap of empowering women 
and eliminating racism because we can never get to the empowerment piece un- until we deal with the front piece of our mission. Mm-hmm. Because the reality is most of the people that we're servicing in our shelters or in a congregant, a non-congregant environment, a hotel, look like me. And so when we talk about what does it look like to move a person to another level of, of, of sufficiency, self-sufficiency, we have to look at the context of the foundation of who the person is in order to figure out how to navigate those systems. The other piece of our work that people don't realize that we do every single day is the work of justice, equity and justice and access, and making sure we're removing barriers that uh, uh, don't allow people, particularly those that we're servicing, our, our, our victims of violence, to be able to seek justice in a fair way. So I'd like to use the example of something very real uh, you may remember if you've ever experienced whether you were going to court for yourself or going with someone, they have all of these rules and dress codes that were up there. You know, if you didn't have these shoes on, you can't wear shorts, no tank tops, all of these things. Well, you think about someone experiencing violence. If all they've left their house with is what was on their back and maybe a bag of some sort, they didn't have time to dress code plan. They showed they left with their life and whatever they could. Mm -hmm. And so when they present at court, they may be presented in a way that is not presentable to a judge who says, you can't be seen today. So our organization here locally worked through the court systems to remove barriers like that so that those that are entering into the court system are looked at based on their situation and not on their attire. So we're very proud of things like that, that just remove those barriers for people to achieve the level of justice that they desire. So that was an example. You mentioned equity, justice, Mm -hmm. and access and access and i think equality of opportunity so that that clothing in the courtroom what is that which one of those was that an example of I would say that is just, that is equity, right? Because, you know, we talk a lot, you hear a lot in the world talked about justice, equity, and equality, right? right? Uh, Justice is is giving, you know, people what what they deserve, right? So I, I use the other, I'm full of analogies of baseball game. Sure. And you take some kids like the kids who were just downstairs flying in, in, in <laughs> at iFly. We take these group of kids and they're at various various heights, heights, right? So justice is these kids desire to go to a, a baseball game. Okay, you're there. But they all can't see the field, right? So someone has the bright idea, let's get some crates and we'll just put them all on crates. Well, that's great because that's the equality. Everyone's equal and gets a crate. But there's some people who still have an advantage because they're they're taller, you know, and a disadvantage because they're shorter. Equity allows everyone to equally participate in the process of seeing the game. So maybe your crate is a little higher because you might be shorter. Someone else's crate is medium because it elevates them. And my crate might be shorter because I'm taller. And now everyone has parity on the field to be able to see and enjoy the game. So when we talk about the work of eliminating racism, it's really uh, those barriers barriers that keep individuals from active participation and engagement in those processes. I've seen that graphic of, you know, the people attending the baseball game and and looking over the fence with the crates, et cetera. 
how does that, and when you look at it, you go, oh, I get it. But then I own a business with 40 people and we're not at a baseball game looking over a fence. Mm -hmm. So how can, how does that apply to the business owner? What does that mean? What's actionable Mm -hmm. for uh, leaders in business, leaders who uh, are responsible to their organization and to their stakeholder and and uh, to everybody around them to to responsibly run the business mm-hmm. while making sure that they take into consideration diversity, equity, and inclusion. Mm-hmm. How do I, how does somebody apply that picture, that example within their business? And and then I put my HR hat on. I used to work for Farm Fresh and HR and community outreach before they closed. And those questions used to plague us back then with 4,000 employees. You know, <laughs> right. you can't operate a chain uh, by allowing people to do this and people to do that and people to do this, right? There has to be some sanity and some sameness in the culture that is built. But what I think it comes down to, Bob, is, is sure, most organizations have some type of HR process, process, have HR processes and procedures that guide the guardrails, you know, because someone did something. That's why HR is there. <laughs> okay. Yeah, very and, true. And, 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 and I will say for better or for worse. <laughs> and we like to be partners to the process, not when it's bad, but when uh-huh. it's good to prevent the bad from happening. But if you think about it from that perspective, from the people management perspective, it's really about that engagement with the leaders of your organization who know their people and can drive their people. What do I mean by that? No, you need to have you, you you can't have multiple sets of rules because then the inequity comes in, right? And then that leads to a whole bunch of other things. But if Bob is my supervisor and Bob knows that I am challenged right now because my husband is deployed, there may be there might be a different level of grace that's given to me because I'm really a good employee. Mm-hmm. I I am that employee that does what needs to be done and then some. Mm -hmm. And so maybe it's something as simple, simple as a schedule adjustment. Those 30 minutes in the morning might make a huge difference in me showing up to work fully engaged, leaning into the work and the mission and not frustrated or bothered. So maybe Bob has a conversation with me that simply says, you've been coming in late. This is not you. I know your pattern. You typically don't. I disclosed to Bob, yeah, my husband just got deployed and I'm a new mom trying to figure this out, right? And it's hard. And and Bob says, well, how can I support you? We start digging through those layers, right? And and the resolution simply may be, well, let's shift your workday from eight in the morning to eight thirty to see how that works for you. Well, you know what? You've you've gained an an employee who feels now value added and will be committed to the work of the organization. So we look for those ways that we can lean into building a strong relationship with the people we're entrusted to care for every single day. That is just such a wonderful example and. I uh, did a podcast a while ago with Bob Jordan, Robert Jordan, and his partner, Olivia Wagner, who wrote a wonderful book on leadership. And they call that human leadership. And at the end of the day, we're leading human beings. Yeah. We all have wives and husbands and children uh, that have to go to the doctor and a car that has to go to the shop. And we might have parents in failing health or a death in the family 
or we're just having a bad day. And as a leader, it's really our responsible to help our teammates yeah. through those times rather than throw your hands up in the air and say, that's not my problem. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, it really is your problem. <laughs> in more ways than one. So I love your approach to leadership thus far. And, and what is, you know, how would you define leadership? That That is always the, the uh, ultimate question because we're learning to lead, I believe, every single day especially as times change and uh, the the generations of, of people change in, in the workforce. You know, I, I think I, I would define leadership as, as leaning into your skills and strength that uh, which will allow you to uh, empower other people in a spirit of excellence to do the right things at the right time for the right purposes. You know, I love that using your skills and strengths. So you have to identify your skills and strengths. You have to be conscious of what they are mm -hmm. to empower others. That That's it's using different words, but it's literally my definition mm -hmm. as well. My definition, my full definition is to use my education, training, and experience to enable others to accomplish their objectives. And um, you wow. literally said the same thing <laughs> with different words. And and that's the other thing I wanted to point out, you know, after reading your bio and getting to know you and, and, and talking to you, I do believe that that the best leaders, not, you know, the great ones or that there's only one way to lead, but I do believe that the best leaders have a combination of those three things. They have formal education. Yeah. They have all these micro training events throughout mm -hmm. their careers. Uh, and then they have experience. They have this requisite level of experience that enables you to to make the best decisions possible based on what you know at the time. Yeah, so yeah. This is super cool. So folks, we are going to take a quick break for capitalism. I hope you're enjoying this wonderful discussion with Michelle because I certainly am. She has so much to offer to you, the listener, and to the people in our community here in Hampton Roads. And we are going to be right back. And we are back. We're talking to Michelle Ellis Young the Chief Executive Officer of the YWCA of Hampton Roads, a very important position, a position that literally, I would imagine, saves lives, changes lives, and you can really uh, inspire, you can really help and inspire people. Can you give us an example? Can you give us an example of somebody who came to you under less than ideal circumstances. Can you give us a success story is what I'm trying to say. Sure. And and and, let, and I'm careful not to steal the glory from my team members. We have an awesome group of team members who are really leading the charge every single day to make sure that help, hope, and healing takes place in this community. And so I don't typically experience the, the person that comes to our doors of our shelter or to our crisis center, uh, but I certainly hear about those stories, and I've, I've known some of those stories. Uh, personally. And uh, I would say one of the uh, uh, victories, you know, you, you talk about if it's a success story, I don't know if it's a, it's a success story, but there certainly is victory in the story that um, we can see through uh, the lens of, 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 of a mother who has come uh, to shelter, uh, not for the first time, for the fourth time because we don't talk about 
why does it take so we we like to ask the question why does it take so long for her to leave when the question should be why did it take so long why didn't he stop sooner right so we we like to look at okay it took her four times but i'm glad she knew where to come to that fourth time and on that fourth time it was enough and this was a woman who didn't have much in education uh she didn't have resources and family but she had three kids and she knew she wanted better for her children. And so when we compare someone who has the will to want to do better with partners in community, a simple certification changed her life. You say, oh, it was just a CNA, but it was a CNA certificate that allowed her to get out of a desperate situation, retool her life, change her mindset, and ultimately become an RN. To me, that's a victory. I think that's a huge, a huge victory, giving somebody a career, giving them independence, giving them hope in the military community. We, we deal with suicide on a regular basis and we approach it head on. So I'm glad you mentioned that to give somebody independence, mm-hmm. to give them hope yeah. is significant in the military community, which I know you're familiar with in terms of uh, suicide mm-hmm. and how the military is trying to combat that. You know, one of the, one of the key symptoms of suicide. I don't know if symptom is the right word, but people feel this hopelessness. And even if they don't take it to the point of suicide, hopelessness is paralyzing. Mm-hmm. And, and I imagine some of uh, the people you help, they they come through your doors with this sense of hopelessness. And it's up to you and your organization to, to give them hope to uh, reverse that process. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's it's vital. And I think that um, uplifting people and giving them independence, giving them that self-worth and that independence is critical. We also, you mentioned team and teamwork and the fact that your team are the um, the people doing all the heavy lifting and the moving and shaking. Originally, when I was setting up this podcast, um, Zakaya Cunningham, right? Zakaya yes, Cunningham? Zakia. Zakia, I'm sorry. That's so right. that's, that's my European accent. So. <laughs> Zakia, Zakia and I were talking about her coming on the podcast um, and talking about leadership. And she very selflessly said, there's a better candidate than me. And that's our CEO, who would just be a tremendous guest. So she is a blessing to our organization. You talk about a young lady who has a drive and tenacity for uh, humankind and just to uh, leave uh, a footprint right where I talk a lot with my team about brightening the corner where you are. It's an old hymn, but brightening the corner where you are. You know, we think about all of what's going on in the world. And when you think about that, it's daunting, it's heavy, and quite convinced. Uh, quite uh, honestly, it's depressing. <laughs> and so you think about the whole world. So we break the world up. What can we do in this corner that we have an opportunity to brighten? Because we're all lighthouses and she's definitely a lighthouse. If I can brighten my corner, she can brighten her corner. You can brighten your corner. Eventually we have illumination on a block. What happens when the block gets lit? Then the the community can be lit. When the community gets lit, then the state gets lit, you know, and it goes on and on until it's like that old Coke commercial. (laughs) I like to teach the world to sing and all of these lights are coming out. That's really what brightening the corner is, is about. And to have young people in your organization that have a heart for the mission 
but they have a heart for people. It's truly a blessing for us. So we are, are honored to have her with us. That Coke commercial and the people bringing yeah. that out. That's a, what a great, what a great visual. What a great example. We might have to roll that into this podcast and when we do the editing. So one other thing to mention uh, to, to our guests, and uh, I'm going to do uh, the dual screen again, if, if I can get to just look up there for a second. So you might notice the goggle marks around Michelle's eyes. Mm -hmm. So Michelle flew at iFly Virginia Beach earlier today. And so she has her, that's a, we call that a rite of passage. That's right. That's right. <laughs> so that's a rite of passage to have those uh, goggle marks. And um, we love to, to see that flight experience. We love for you to have that flight experience. Most importantly, we love for you to talk about that flight experience. So can you just tell us how, how the flight experience was for you? So Bob, interestingly, I have, I've been here maybe about two, uh, three times prior to uh, on other assignments to work with the kids that you all do a fabulous job with or for some type of meeting, right? And never thought about even coming to that side <laughs> of the building. So when I walk in this morning and a young man says, you're going to be flying, I said, no, because that's my script, right? No, I'm here to do business. And he says, well, I have you marked to fly. I said, well, I'm here to meet Bob. And if that's what he says, then that's what we're going to do. And I never thought twice about it after that. Probably those other times, I can tell you, I was like, mm, I'm not doing that, you know, crazy. <laughs> but I have to tell you, going through the process of being in someone else's home and they've invited you to do something, had, that meant a lot. I'm like, if he's entrusting me to be in his space and he says, this is a part of being here, this is how we roll, then that's what we're going to do. It didn't compromise my character, my integrity, or my witness. So I'm good, right? But I tell you, I was like a little kid in the inside getting suited up, you know, <laughs> but I'm like, I don't look like these other kids. They got their tennis shoes on, their sweats and all this. <laughs> I got my business clothes on, my little heels, y'all. They kind of cute today. And I did they my are. hair. They are. <laughs> I did my hair. I'm like, okay. But the guy said, you can't go in with them shoes. I said, well, what you got for me? And he's like, what size you need? I said, an eight and a half. He said, we don't do half sizes. Okay, well, give me the nine then. Then you had the little pantyhose box there. I'm like, okay, I'm getting this put. And I'm looking at that suit like, no, nah, that suit ain't going to fit me. It was just right. But I've got to tell you, sitting by those children, my team was a bunch of children. There were three on one side, two on another side, and then two adults on the other end. I found my tribe with those kids nice. and my tribe was encouraging. And so I'm like, okay, if I'm watching my tribe able to do this, I certainly, I can do this. And once I got in there and then by the way, Ty is fabulous. One so, of our best. Uh, accolades to your team. But once I got in there, because we had established a relationship when you introduced me to him, I had a little bit of faith and trust in him. I'm like, he's going to take care of me. <laughs> and I tell you, once I got in there, all inhibitions left. You know, you don't even think about it. And I'm processing in my mind now, if I can do this, I'm the person who said I would never, ever, ever skydive. I'm thinking about that thing now. I ain't real yet, but I really am thinking about that thing now. But it that's what what the the simulation did for me. It instilled another layer of courage to do something that I never would have done before. Another layer of courage. That is incredible. That's uh that'll be the quote for the show notes. 
another layer of courage. So, well, I appreciate that uh, description, that detailed description. And it's so fun to watch. You know, I watched your group and I watched those kids you're talking about. And it's just so fun to watch people experience that that growth and that courage and those the aha moment. You can see it on their faces. You can see it in their eyeballs. And uh, it just never gets old. It's the funnest thing in the world. So, Michelle, what a wonderful discussion. What haven't I asked you? What uh, what else would you like to share with our listeners? Oh, no, just be good to humankind. You know, the world is heavy. Life gets hard. And people are sometimes not peopling at their best. But what you have a unique opportunity to do every single day that you wake up is make the choice to do good. And so I just encourage people to use the the gifts, the talents that they possess to make sure that they make wherever they are a little better than they found it. Thank you for that. That's awesome. And how can people get a hold of you? So you can contact us at ywca-shr.org. That's our website. Our handles are at YWCASHR uh, on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and Twitter. And I'm also there. You just type in my whole name and you'll find me. That's awesome. Ladies and gentlemen, please think about donating to the YWCA and the incredible mission that they execute. And what an incredible, energetic guest. Michelle, thank you so, so much for coming on the Elevate Your Leadership podcast. Thanks for having me, Bob. Thank you for listening to the Elevate Your Leadership podcast. To contact Bob directly or to learn more about how Bob can advance you and your organization through leadership training, team building, executive coaching, and public speaking, visit robertpizzini.com. Robert, P-I-Z-Z-I-N-I.com and connect with him on LinkedIn.